From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. Like many scientists, Dr. Zach Nagel's first experiments were conducted as a child playing in the dirt in his backyard in Michigan. His interest in experimentation took him all the way through a bachelor's degree and PhD in chemistry and a postdoctoral fellowship at MIT. It was during his postdoc years that Dr. Nagel discovered his passion for DNA repair, combining his early interest in basic science with a strong desire to do something that would impact human health. On today's episode, Dr. Nagel tells us about the work he is doing to improve cancer care and how the mentoring he received as a postdoc set the stage for him to develop as an independent investigator. Dr. Zach Nagel is an assistant professor of radiation biology in the Department of Environmental Health at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. As a postdoc in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at MIT, Dr. Nagel worked with Leona Sampson and developed a novel DNA repair assay that he is currently using in his research. Hello, Dr. Nagel. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here. Could you tell us a little bit about your career background? How did you get started and what interested you in research? Absolutely. So, well, I grew up in Michigan and spent a lot of time outdoors as a kid. So I got into experimenting and tinkering. And I think I didn't see it that way till later, but the stuff I did in the garden, those were the early experiments. And then um, I did a bachelor's in chemistry at the University of Michigan, got into undergraduate research there, which was a big deal for me, got me excited about doing experiments. So I think that was really my start. And then uh, from there, I did a PhD in chemistry at UC Berkeley. And there I worked on uh, how enzymes speed up chemical reactions. And uh, actually, I was studying quantum effects in enzymes, which is uh, pretty far from what I do now, but really exciting and got me very uh, interested in basic research. After my PhD, I really wanted to do something that would impact human health. So uh, I did a postdoc at MIT in the Department of Biological Engineering with Leona Sampson. And that's where I really uh, developed my passion for DNA repair, which is what I work on now. During the postdoc, I developed a technology that really features in my work now, and it's uh, called FMHCR. That's for fluorescence multiplex host cell reactivation. And since it's such a long tangle of words, we just call it FMHCR. But basically, it's a tool uh, for making measurements, and it enables us to do a lot of the research that I'm going to pursue in my own lab now. So this tool basically allows us to measure the activity of all the major DNA repair pathways in human cells. And the way it works in broad strokes is we get the cells to light up different fluorescent colors according to which repair pathway is functioning in that cell. So you can imagine, say, there are multiple pathways. One of them might be reported with a blue fluorescent signal, another one with a green fluorescent signal, and a third one with a red fluorescent signal, and so on. And uh, the way we do this is to generate DNA damage in vitro, so with isolated fragments of DNA. And then we introduce those fragments into cells. And the presence of the DNA damage affects whether or not the cell can express 
a fluorescent protein that's encoded by the DNA in that fragment. So if the cells are able to repair the damage, they express the fluorescent protein and the cell lights up in that color. And the reason we call it multiplex is because we can use more than one color at a time. So we have this whole rainbow of colors being expressed at the same time, and each color tells us about the activity of a different repair pathway. This assay is extremely useful to us because we can measure repair activity in multiple pathways at the same time in both cancer cells and normal cells. What's really novel with this assay, um, which is relatively new, we published it for the first time in 2014, is the ability to measure multiple pathways um, basically in real time. We typically do an endpoint after 24 hours, but we can also monitor cells under the microscope and follow repair activity through time. And so it's, it's the ability to measure multiple pathways at the same time and the ability to use a single readout. So certainly there have been DNA repair assays for, for different pathways. They usually couldn't be multiplexed because there were very different strategies for each of the pathways that depended upon the mechanism of the repair. And so what's unique in our assay is the use of a fluorescent color and a different color for every pathway. And so we can get data out for all of the major pathways within 24 hours, which really, um, before our technology, wasn't something you could do. So the real focus of my lab is on DNA repair and how it impacts human health. And so we look at that question really from two directions, um, preventing disease or at least anticipating disease, so understanding the risk of diseases and in particular cancer. Uh, and then finding the best way to treat disease once it occurs. So finding personalized therapies for cancer and developing personalized strategies uh, for preventing or at least anticipating cancer. You talk about DNA repair. Can you tell us what it is, what that means? Sure. So DNA is basically the blueprint of every cell in your body. And it's under assault all the time from different things in the environment and also uh, from molecules that just occur normally over the course of metabolism. So every day the DNA is getting attacked uh, and it gets damaged. And as you can imagine, if you were to copy a damaged blueprint, you lose information and that can be a real hazard. So what DNA repair does is to repair those instances of DNA damage as they occur before they lead to those unwanted uh, dangerous outcomes. And uh, that's actually quite a task. Uh, just in the course of this podcast, we'll probably each of us have trillions of instances of DNA damage in our cells. So the cells are very active repairing that damage. And when people have defects in those repair pathways, it puts them at a much higher risk of disease. So we know that it, it plays a major role in preventing cancer. What drove you to look at cancer specifically? Number one um, is impact. So... Many, many people suffer and die from cancer, including people in my family. And so um, it's an area where I thought we could have an impact. We know very well the relationships between DNA repair and cancer. Certainly, um, in the longer term, we could have an impact in other diseases. DNA repair is involved in many different things. Um, so there are neurodegenerative diseases. There are immune um, immune disorders that are associated with defects in DNA repair, but 
cancer is by far the, the largest population that is affected by um, deficiencies in DNA repair or exposure to DNA damaging agents. Why is DNA repair important to cancer treatment? There are really two major things that happen when we treat cancer, and one of them is desirable and the other one is not. So what we're trying to do with cancer therapy is to kill the cancer cells. And many of the therapies that we use, so including radiation and a number of chemotherapies, actually work by damaging DNA. So that's counterintuitive. There's sort of a double-edged sword here, whereas DNA damage can cause the mutations in our DNA blueprint that lead to cancer, we also use DNA damage to kill cancer cells. So the ability to kill a cancer cell uh, depends on whether or not the cancer cells efficiently repair the damage that we're causing. So understanding, and it turns out, from one individual to the next, the ability of the cancer cell to repair the damage that's caused by either the drug or the radiation, it varies quite a bit. So if we could just know in advance whether an individual's cancer cells are efficient repairing DNA damage, that could be used uh, to guide therapy decisions. So that's the, the desirable effect of chemotherapy and radiation to kill the cancer cells. But there's also side effects, and those are due to the damage to normal tissue, which occurs at the same time when we're using radiation and chemo. And so the ability of an individual to tolerate a therapy depends on how well, in part, on how well their cells repair the damage that occurs. And so, uh, whereas one of our goals is to uh, tailor therapy so as to kill the cancer, it's also to tailor therapy to what an individual can tolerate. And then, um, furthermore, as I mentioned, when you have a defect in DNA repair, that puts you at much higher risk of cancer. And we also are learning that there is a natural spread among individuals in how well we each repair our DNA damage. So individuals who are less efficient tend to be at higher risk for cancer as well. And until recently, there haven't been very efficient ways of measuring that. And so now, as with the tool that that FMHCR that I talked about, uh, we think we can make the measurements that will give us new insights into that relationship. What are the projects your lab is working on now? So one of the topics we're studying is clinical radiation sensitivity. And what's seen in the clinic is when people get radiotherapy for cancer, is there is a very wide range of side effects. Some individuals have no side effects to the point that they're concerned the therapy isn't working at all. And other individuals at the other end of the spectrum, the side effects are so bad that we have to stop radiation therapy. So it's of great interest to be able to anticipate those reactions because presently we just give everyone the same dose and we give a relatively lower dose in anticipation that some people will be very sensitive. So what we'd like to do is be able to know in advance, will someone be very sensitive or not? And potentially we could increase the dose for people who will be able to tolerate it. And the way we're going to approach that is to take blood samples from patients who are undergoing radiation therapy and measure their ability to repair DNA damage. Our hypothesis is that individuals who are hypersensitive to radiation in the clinic may have inefficient DNA repair, which we can measure 
by our assays in the blood cells that we can get from those individuals. And so if that's true, uh, we'll be able to use mathematical models uh, to take our measurements and turn them into a useful prediction that eventually a clinician might be able to use to tailor the radiation dose to the individual patient. So another project is aimed at understanding why some cancers respond to therapy and others do not. And so what we're aiming to do is to measure DNA repair in cancer cells, working both with cell lines and patient samples, and to find patterns, again using mathematical models, that relate DNA repair capacity to the effectiveness of therapy in those individuals. So I should mention that cancer therapies, there are many different drugs to choose from, and the different drugs plus radiation uh, each generate a different type of DNA damage. And DNA repair is a complex topic. So although I've kind of mentioned it as one thing, uh, there are actually many repair pathways. And there are so many because there are different ones specializing in the repair of different kinds of damage. So for example, radiation causes very different types of damage from some chemotherapies. So what we are, our hypothesis here is that there will be a different constellation, a different DNA repair landscape, or a different constellation of repair pathways that are important for sensitivity to each of the different therapies that a person can receive. And so we may be able to make measurements in cancer cells that will tell us what's the best therapy to use. So that's the long-term goal of this work. So the third project um, has to do with structural biology. And so this is a little more closely related to work I did as a graduate student where we want to understand how DNA repair proteins actually do their jobs. At a more molecular level, DNA can be broken, the bases that make up the DNA can be damaged, and there is a whole complex of proteins. Depending on the type of damage, it's a different complex of proteins. And that complex of proteins, like a machine, goes in and removes the damage and then replaces the, DNA, the old DNA with new, newly synthesized DNA. So this project is aimed at understanding how those protein complexes come together and do their jobs. And what we'd like to do in the long term is use that understanding to disrupt DNA repair protein complexes. So if we could do that, we might have a drug that could be used to sensitize cancer cells. So this ties into the other projects in this way, that if we can reduce the repair capacity of cancer cells, we can make them more sensitive to therapy. And there's a second part that's a little more subtle, which has to do with something called synthetic lethality. So the idea here is that when you have two defects in DNA repair pathways, different DNA repair pathways, that can kill a cell all by itself. And we know that cancer cells are often rather deranged relative to normal tissue. They acquire mutations at a higher rate than normal cells, and they often already have one DNA repair pathway malfunctioning. So the idea is to inhibit a second repair pathway so that we can kill the cancer cells, and then we won't be harming the normal cells because that second pathway is intact in the normal cells. What surprised you most in the course of work you were doing? Mm -hmm. I think there were, there were two surprises. One is about the science, and it's that things are so complex. So coming from a background where I was studying chemistry, and we often would study one reaction at a time, 
my work has steadily progressed toward more and more complex systems. And when you get to cancer, as complex as DNA repair by itself can be, there are dozens of DNA repair proteins involved. There are at least six major repair pathways. They interact. They're not simple. Sometimes more is not better. There are examples of counterintuitive relationships just within one field of cancer biology. And that's just a small piece of the pie. The complexity goes out from there. Uh, so I think the complexity of biology is a, a constant but also pleasant surprise because there's so much to understand. And then the other thing that has surprised me in, along this career path um, also in a pleasant way is the importance of mentorship. So I've had three really fabulous mentors first the, as an undergraduate researcher where I had really no business being in the lab. Um, but a, a senior professor took me under his wing. It was Charlie Yoakum at University of Michigan. And I was a dishwasher for a while. I got to uh, shadow the graduate students and postdocs. And then uh, gradually I took on my own project and I got lots of support for that. So that really launched my career. And then uh, at Berkeley, I worked with Judith Klinman, and she's uh, an incredibly energetic scientist who uh, made every day fun. I really, I think my, my interest in science caught fire with her because of her enthusiasm. And then, as I've mentioned, Leona Sampson at MIT um, really gave me the space to explore areas on my own that gave me the independence that I have now and really supported my career all the way along. So, um, yeah, the importance of mentorship and then what a joy it is to now be doing on the other side of that, kind of lighting a fire with the people who are working with me, which I hope I can live up to what my mentors did because uh, it's really amazing how important that relationship can be. Thank you again for joining us, Dr. Nagel. It's been a pleasure to have this conversation with you. Wonderful. I enjoyed it also. Next time on Think Research. To do really successful research, it has to be a partnership between, you know, the people who know the methods, and but the people who also know what the important questions are and what, what will actually work. I think, again, it just highlights the importance of having strong partners that you're willing to listen to who really offer very valuable advice about how to do your study and how to make it successful. Dr. Peggy Lai talks about her work around indoor air pollution in Uganda and the importance of listening to local populations when putting together a research study. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.